You are Locked On Jets, your daily podcast on the New York Jets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This is the Locked On Jets podcast on Thursday, May 10th, 2018. I am John B. from gangrenenation.com. Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoy the show, subscribe, iTunes or Spotify, your two best bets. And if you do enjoy this show, leave it a positive review in iTunes. It is Thursday, which means we head to the mailbag today. These are questions that were both emailed to me and submitted in the comment section of gangrenenation.com. So let's hop on in. We'll start with a question that was emailed to me. Most fans realize this season's all about Sam Darnold, but there's no excuse for the defense to keep coming up in the bottom of the league in just about every statistical category. This is Todd Bowles' baby. No more excuses. All is, With all of the guys there, should we expect a top five or at least a top ten defense? I think top five, top ten would probably be overly ambitious because if you're going to have a top five defense, you got to have great players. And I'm not sure the Jets have great impact players on this defense. Is Leonard Williams going to turn into Aaron Donald? You certainly hope so, and it's certainly within the realm of possibility because he's a big talent. But I, you know, I don't know where else you're going to have a great player on this defense. Is Jamal Adams going to emerge this year? Well, again, you hope so. You know, you want to see that guy who was there week three against Miami, an impact player who took over that game, making plays left and right. He was solid for most of his rookie year, and for rookie safety, for the responsibilities he had. I was satisfied by what by what the Jets got, but this year you want to see more. You want to see, again, week three Miami, that guy who was just constantly making plays all over the place. That's what you want to see. But, you know, you look just look to the premium positions. Edge rusher, who do the Jets have? We just talked about this. Nobody. I mean, where's, where's the pass rush going to come from outside of Williams? And even Williams, is Williams going to take the next step? And then the at corner, you, it's, you at least have some pieces this year. I mean, Tremaine Johnson's a... Probably, I'd say, a solid, credible, middle-of-the-pack number one corner, so you at least have him. But then after that, I don't know what else do you have. Claiborne's, you know, Claiborne's not a great starting corner. I'm sorry, he's not a great corner in this league. He's a guy who has not put together a full quality 16-game season. The last two years, he put together parts of quality seasons, put together a you know a decent start to 2016 with Dallas, and then last year he was good the first half, then he suffered an injury, missed a game, and then was not nearly as good the second half of the year, and buster screen is buster screen. So you know I just don't know that you have the impact guys on this defense to shut down the pass, and you shut down the pass one of two ways. You either get pressure on the quarterback or you cover really well, and I don't think the Jets have pieces on either side. I think they're a little bit better in coverage than they are pass rush, but I don't think the Jets have guys in either space to – really uh, put it together to be that type of defense. I'm talking top 10, top five. I think they can stop. I think they're going to stop the run pretty well, though. I think they do have the pieces to do that because you've got, you've got, you've got the good defensive line run stoppers. You've got Williams, you've got McClendon, and then you brought in a pretty solid run stopping linebacker and Avery Williamson. So I think they'll be able to stop the run pretty well. I, I agree with your bigger point though. I agree with the bigger point of the question, which is, this defense has to play better. Look, part, part, I'm not expecting Bowles to turn this into a top-five defense. You, could, you, need, you need talent to do that, but good coaching means that you get more. the, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. You figure out way to, ways to make it work, make the defense better than just the mere collection of talent would suggest it would be. And I don't think Bowles has done a great job of that in his three years with the Jets. I think it's been one of the biggest disappointments with Bowles. You know, you thought you were getting – I thought we, I thought the Jets were getting – one of the really gifted defensive minds in this league, and it really has not come to play. Too many instances where they've been out-schemed, where 
player use has been questionable. There are just too many, too many, too many instances where this this stuff has happened. So I think Bowles has a lot to answer for it. And I, well, I don't think that this is a top five defense. I'm not sure it's a top ten defense. This certainly should not be a bottom of the league defense. But you know, this the talent's not that bad. And with the type of coaching Bowles is supposed to provide, with the type of leadership Bowles is supposed to provide on this defensive unit, I think it would be a major disappointment if. This was a bottom-of-the-league defense. Now, again, it all comes back to Darnold. If Darnold has a good year, you're not going to make a coaching change. You're not going to mess around with the system. You're not going to mess around with success for one year. But it would be an, it would be a marker against Bulls. I think you're right if this was a bad defensive unit again because they did add pieces. And you have to think Bulls had a say in the guys they went after. Next question. Uh, seems to me that Christopher Johnson might be a better CEO for the Jets than Woody Johnson ever was. What do you think? Well, I think that Christopher John. I think a lot of this is based on perception, and perception is, many instances, based on the way that people present themselves in public. And I'll say this. Christopher Johnson has done a better job pre- presenting his views of the game, present, pre- presenting a philosophy than his brother did during his time running the team. You know, you Woody Johnson was not great with the press. I think even Woody Johnson's biggest fan would admit to that. And, you know, he's, when he says stuff like talking about putting a spy on J.J. Watt, that's the kind of stuff that I think in many ways undercuts your own credibility with the fan base because you, if you're messing up something that's such a basic such a basic part of football terminology, then you got, you know, people are going to remember that and they're not going to cut you slack when things don't go so well. I don't want to give Chris Johnson too much credit because I, you look. If you want to tell me that you are that this guy's you know a great CEO, great doing a great job running the team, I can't do that until the team actually wins, which hasn't happened yet under him. And not that it's his fault. I mean, he hasn't been he hasn't been around long enough that this, especially based on what he inherited, that I would expect this team to win. I need to see this team actually have success though before I'm willing to say that he's better than his brother. What I will say is that. And I think this actually started before Woody Johnson went off to the UK. Since the hirings of Todd Bowles and Mike McCagnan, I think one plus is you've seen less of the impulsive tabloid influence decision making that had kind of become a hallmark of this organization. You know, when I think about owners, I actually I go back to an article Bill Simmons, the sports writer, wrote back during his ESPN days, and I'm talking about before Grant. I'm talking about page two, which. And this this article is over 15 years old, and he he was actually he's a Red Sox fan. He was praising Joe Torre, who at the time was having a successful run with the Yankees. And he, he wrote, "Managing a baseball team, it's like serving the it's like serving as the captain of a luxury yacht. You rely on your equipment, manage your crew, defer to their abilities, stroke egos, and search for icebergs. That's it. That's your job." And I think in many ways, being an owner of a professional sports team is like that as well, where you have to like keep your finger to the pulse of a few important decisions, make sure the team doesn't make do anything crazy, like run into icebergs. And if you do that, you're you're going to be a good owner. If you start meddling in other stuff, you start you know get putting your nose where it doesn't belong. You start making decisions based on faulty reasoning. You run into an iceberg. You're going to have a problem. And I think you know you look at some of the moves. That, and I think Woody Johnson's heart's in his right in the right place. I think he genuinely has wanted to win. But you look at some of the things he's. His fingerprints have been all over some of the the bad moves the Jets have made. Favre, that was obviously ownership. Tebow, you got to think that's ownership. Forcing the general manager to keep Rex Ryan, bad move. Clearly ownership. He admitted it. 
the Revis and I, when I say the Revis trade back in 2013, you know, there was an argument either way. I mean, you could have made an argument either way. Revis coming off an injury, not an easy guy to sign. The issue was that the Jets did not make that trade based on any football decision. The Jets made made the trade because Woody Johnson was mad at the people representing Revis. He was mad at his agents. And that's just not the type of thing you can – it wasn't based on this was the be- best move for the team. It was based on I don't like dealing – I didn't like dealing with these guys. So, you know, you just – you see too many instances where the moves have been made for the wrong reasons. And it's it had it's had the owner's fingerprints all over it. And, you know, I, I, another move I go back to is six years ago, back in 2012. And this was not necessarily one that was driven by the owner, but the Jets gave Mark Sanchez that horrible extension. And – you know, I think a good owner in that spot kind of like looks at this with clear eyes and says, you know, Sanchez collapsed near the end of the previous season, which he had. We don't really know what we have in him. He's not even close to free agency, so there's no risk of him leaving. He has a great year next year. There's no risk of him leaving. We should wait what we we should wait and see here because we can still sign him to a contract extension if we're more confident a year from now. Right now we can't have any confidence in him because he collapsed near the end of the season. And instead, the Jets signed a contract where they took a lot of risk and they didn't get a whole lot out of it in return. So, you know, I think a good owner at that point says, geez, guys, what are we doing here? So I think those are things that have been lacking. Now, I, here's what I'll say, though, is I think there has been a turning point. I think there has we have seen we've have perhaps perhaps seen a turning of the tide. And at the press conference where after after the 2014 season, when Woody Johnson announced John Nitzik and Rex Ryan had been fired, you saw some self-reflection there where he talked about the mistake he made in forcing the general manager to keep the head coach and maybe some understanding. And, you know, he brought in a couple of guys who were very respected in the NFL, Ron Wolf, Charlie Casserly, to run the search. And I think it was I think too many Jets fans think that just because you have two executives running the search that it guarantees success. It doesn't. It's tough to fi- find good people to run the team, even if you're successful. But that was, a, you know, you, they, I think it was a sound decision. I think the process was sound. And when McCagnan and Bowles came in, they I think they tried to do two things. At first, they tried to keep they tried to keep the team afloat in the short run. They tried to build, they tried to keep the team competitive in the short run. In the meantime, they were still trying to build a long-term foundation by drafting effectively. In terms of the short run, it didn't really work out. It worked the first year. It didn't work out beyond that. In terms of building a long-term foundation, they did not do a great job the first two years. The draft, the first two years drafts, not what you would have wanted for a team in rebuilding mode. And it would have been very easy to move on from that. It would have been very easy to fire them. But Johnson kept them. Johnson decided to think long-term. He decided to give them more time. And I thought that was a you – know, I don't know whether these guys are going to ultimately work out, but one thing I'll tell you is that – you can't win in this league if you're changing guys every two years. And there's a good reason for that. And it's just, I go, I go back to my personal experiences. When I've been in a job, I'm a lot better at it four years in than I am on day one. I know things I know because I, I understand I'm always going to make mistakes when I start doing a job four years in, I'll understand what those mistakes I made were and I'll be smarter for it. And I will have learned from it. So I think, you know, you may have seen, started to see a turning of the tide even before England, so I think, you know, Woody Johnson probably deserves a little more credit. He doesn't probably doesn't deserve as much of the blame over the last four years as he's gotten. Now, I think some, some of it's deserved for stuff from before the last four years. His brother maybe not doesn't deserve the, as much credit as he's gotten in the short run because we still have to see how successful this team's going to be. But I do kind of get the sense that, and maybe, and look, this could change on a, a this could 
turn on a dime here. This could move very quickly. But, uh, you know, I am cautiously optimistic about some of the things I'm seeing from this franchise. Next question. How do you think the Jets should handle the snap distribution between the four current quarterbacks during OTAs and training camp? Should McCown assume more of a coaching role helping Darnold during and after his reps instead of taking his own reps? Is there any point in giving Hackenberg reps due to him being terrible or Bridgewater reps until he's, unless he's fully healthy? All right, so lots of questions in that one. And I don't think this is the way the Jets are going to do it, but how would I do it? How, how I would do it is um, I think there are two people who should be competing for the starting job because I don't think there are enough reps to go around, starting reps to go around for more than two. So Sam Darnold definitely got one spot. And if Teddy Bridgewater is healthy, and you know I have no reason to believe he's not healthy at the moment, or at least relatively healthy, as healthy as he's going to get, because you have to remember he was active. He was the backup quarterback for Minnesota late in the year. They were prepared to put him in if Case Keenum got hurt. So I presume he could play. Bridgewater would be it would be Darnold versus Bridgewater. Those are the two guys with upside. Um, so that's what I'd do. I'd keep McCown around as insurance for for a Bridgewater injury, or if you can make work out a trade for Bridgewater, because if I can work out a trade for Bridgewater, and I'm not sure I can, but if I can, that makes sense because I think again Bridgewater's utility to this team has gone down quite a bit since the drafting of Darnold. Bridgewater was around if the Jets had more of a project guy who wasn't going to play year one, so I'd keep McCown around for the time being. I would probably have him, if Bridgewater's healthy, I'd have, have him hanging around. I would have him in a, yeah, kind of a player-coach role. Hackenberg, goodbye. See you later. Thanks for trying these last two years. I, I There's no reason to keep him around. I don't see what the, what the point is. I don't see any upside in this guy. I don't think he's grown at all. You know, I keep hearing about how you have to be patient. Let me tell you something. If this guy was in the second-round pick, he'd already be out of here. If you, there was this guy was an undrafted free agent who showed you as little promise as Hackenberg showed you, as little growth these two years, he'd be gone already. So let's stop. You know, let's not. You have to do something to justify continued investment. You know, just being a second-round pick, and he shouldn't have been a second-round pick. And we would know that by now. So let's let's just say, you know, people are saying, well, the Jets saw something in him to make him a second-round pick. Well, obviously what the Jets saw was wrong. Obviously the Jets were off their rockers to make this guy a second-round pick. So get out, get him out of here. Bring in a guy, you know, bring in another player. It doesn't have to, probably not a quarterback, but there's got to be a player out there with more upside than Hackenberg. So I'd say goodbye to Hackenberg. Next question. Let's say the Jets make the playoffs. Tell me how that happens. I'll tell you how it happens. It's very simple. Sam Darnold's the rookie of the year. And it could happen. That could happen. That's not crazy to say. You know, you asked me a year ago, 2017, how did the Jets make the playoffs? I, I think it's tough. To, it would have been tough to build a credible path. This year, there's a credible path. Sam Darnold could be going and play great. You know, have an Andrew Luck kind of Rookie of the Year type season. Play, you know, right? You know, have a have a Rookie of the Year type campaign. The type of year again Andrew Luck had back in 2012. Although I believe RG3 won the Rookie of the Year that the Rookie of the Year that year. But uh, Luck was Luck played at that level. So maybe you know an RG. Darnold's a different player from RG3, but. You know, that type of year, Andrew Luck, RG3, that kind of season where he just lifts the team on his back. That That's how it happens. And again, it, it's plausible. And, you know, here's the other thing is, you know, I don't think your your fate is predetermined at the start of the season. You know, I think early, especially early in the year, a season could turn on a couple plays. It could turn positively or negatively. You know, I don't think the Giants were predestined to be one of the worst teams in the league last year. I just think things started to snowball on them. 
Uh, there were a few few plays early in the season that could have turned their you know that I think could have made a difference for them. And just everything went against them, and things just kind of snowballed. The locker room turned poisonous, which just kind of you know made things worse. And these things can snowball negatively or positively. Whereas you know if you get you get on a little roll early, guys start to buy in, they start to believe, start getting some bounces. That can you know that's the type of thing that could snowball in a positive direction. So you know I think the Jets, I think they have a puncher's shot this year, and I, I think it all goes back to Darnold. I think Darnold's great. Darnold's ready to play on day one, and Darnold's going to go in and play effectively. It's all. I think it's all about the quarterback this year, and you know if that you, know, you can start to get good feelings in that locker room in that practice facility, start to get confidence. You know that can that can make a difference. Next question: How well can Jeremy Bates introduce run pass option concepts into this offense? How does Bates' offense differ from Shanahan's offense? Jets already have run pass options in their playbook. They ran them last year. I know new offensive coordinator, but Bates was part of that offensive uh, coaching staff last year. He was part of the game planning. So, and I think every team's running off run pass options this year. So, those I think they'll just keep in what they had last year, and it should be pretty easy to install them because Darnold ran a lot of run pass options at USC. So, I don't see any issues on that front. How will the Bates offense differ from a Shanahan, Mike Shanahan type of offense? I think your guess is as good as mine. It's been a, you have to remember it's been a long time since Jeremy Bates ran an NFL offense, so we don't know what exactly what he's. We have a little indication from what he did last year, but again, Bates was not making the final call, so I think we'll see some run pass options in there. But I mean, I, I'm not sure we can necessarily expect an offense that's all that different. I think you'll you'll see lots of zone running. I think you'll see. West Coast concepts on the in the passing game. I think you'll see the bootleg. Uh, so I, I mean, I would be surprised if you saw a drastic departure from a lot of the principles you see in a typical Mike Shanahan offense. And our last question: If you could bring back one coach in Jets history to coach the team, who would it be? Which coach in Jets history would be the most likely to succeed in today's game? Well, the best coach in franchise history is Weeb Eubank. I mean, I don't think there's much doubt about that. He's the one coach in the NFL, in the, the one coach to win an NFL championship, an AFL championship, and the Super Bowl. So, shows you about his spot in history. He coached wins in arguably the two most significant games in professional football history: the '58 championship game and Super Bowl three. Uh, you know, clearly the best coach in Jets history. You know, you never know crossing from one era to another whether a coach is going to be successful. But why I think Eubank would probably be successful is in today's in today's game, one of the big differences between now and when we've coached is there are more assistant coaches. You have to delegate more as a head coach. The staffs are bigger. The job's bigger. And Eubank hired – and Eubank's staffs were not that big. There were only a handful of assistant coaches he had during his day. He had eight eight guys worked under him who coached who were head coaches in the NFL, so he was pretty good at at, find, at filling out a good staff, and that's really important. So I, I'd go with Weeb Eubank, um, and you know even if you're and a lot of the coaches from the Weeb Eubank coaching tree were not successful, but you have to remember, even if you're not a successful head coach, you usually got that job because you're a great assistant. So I think he'd I, I kind of do think he'd be successful in today's. Uh, era. I know the response to that probably would be, well, look at the Bill Parcells coaching tree where you had three coaches win the Super Bowl. Why not Bill Parcells? Here's the issue with Parcells is that after the, you know, Parcells 
did not like to stay in one place. So Parcells, you know, would be the, be, be around for a couple of years, then he'd leave. So Parcells would be more of a quick fix guy, but he never he didn't really have the staying power in his career to finish the job. So I'd go Weeb Bank. That'll do it for our show today. Thank you for listening. This has been the Locked On Jets podcast. It's part of the Locked On Podcast Network. If you enjoy the show, subscribe. You can do it on iTunes. You can do it on Spotify. And leave the show a good review on iTunes if you do enjoy it. Enjoy your Thursday. We'll talk again tomorrow to close out the week.